Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is your source for discussions on music, literature, movies, pop culture, theology, and more. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of the Voices in My Head podcast. And don't forget to let the voices in your head be heard by following me on Twitter at Rick Lee James and sharing your thoughts about today's show. Welcome back to Voices in My Head. As always, I am your host, Rick Lee James, and I'm very glad to have my friend Brandon Sipes back with us again this week. Brandon was on just a few weeks ago. Uh, last week we had Brian Zahn on the show on episode number 160, so you've got uh, big shoes to fill out here yeah. following <laughs> Brian this week. Sure, I'd totally uh, do that. A lot of people have, uh, have commented on how good it was and can't imagine what we would follow it up with, so I followed it up with my awesome. good friend Brandon. Now. <laughs> expectations are going to be low you might as well meet him <laughs> move on next time no that's actually not true um brandon works for nazarene compassionate ministries we're both uh, part of the church of the nazarene and i wanted to have brandon on again because he has been doing a lot of work uh, out of the country recently and is going to be doing some more traveling but in the last three weeks or so wasn't it mm-hmm. you were in croatia yep. and you were dealing with the crisis with so many displaced people um the don't really have any place to go and i wanted to sort of get your perspective on things first of all uh engage with you and maybe have you tell our listeners about the kinds of things you're seeing because we hear all kinds of things on the news and we read all kinds of things on the internet but we haven't been there and we really don't know what it's like and we've talked about it actually just a few weeks ago when you were on the show we were trying to discuss and sort of imagine what it would be like to be a family that's displaced been forced out of your home into another country and then seeming like there's no place to go that is welcoming you with open arms so let's just uh, dive right in and after we talk a little bit about some of the things you've seen, and I'm sure I'll think of some questions along the way. I want to close our time today with you giving some resources because so often we're asking how can we help, but so often not feeling like we know how to help. And so if you are a person listening and you're saying, boy, I really want to help with these families or I want to help in some way, maybe I even want to travel over and and do whatever I can just to be there, if nothing else, as a presence of solidarity. Um, So let's go ahead and begin. Tell us, first of all, about your trip to Croatia and who went with you. Yeah, so um, we actually went to Croatia and Serbia, um, two different spots there in the Balkan states. And the the purpose for me going uh, was to create a couple of videos. So I took a friend of mine. His name is John Morton. He lives in Dayton. He has a photography studio there, and he's made several uh, videos for nonprofits. Uh, one of them is an, is a, an orphanage in uh, Africa. I forget which country, Ethiopia, maybe. Um, and he's done a couple of videos with me. One when we worked when I worked in the juvenile detention center here in Springfield and then one about foster care. Um, he and, so we've done several videos together and his work is really, really good. And so we wanted to go, uh, to capture the stories of what's happening, um, along the route from the Middle East into Europe. And we wanted to be able to do that for a couple of reasons. And we're creating two different videos. The first video is designed to just increase people's engagement with the issue. It's to get people talking about it, to get people praying for families and individuals who are displaced, um, 
to raise funds, to um, encourage people to volunteer where they're able, whether that's here at home or um, overseas, you know, where the refugees are currently sort of traveling. And then the second video was geared toward telling their stories and sharing their stories. You know, the last time I was on here, we talked about fear mainly. And what I wanted to do, having been there, is to collect some stories that, you know, for me and for others would break down some stereotypes and reduce the fear that we feel um, about whoever, whatever group we happen to be afraid of, whether it's refugees or Muslims or people from the Middle East. So that that was the goal of going there or the goals uh, for going there this time. Right. Well, let me interrupt you as you're in the midst of your uh, thinking through yeah. this because you did have some stories you said you want yeah. to share. Maybe just real quick one or two stories that come to mind that might help yeah. for, for various reasons. Tell me why this story is significant and then tell us the story, I guess. Yeah. Well, I want to tell a story first of one of our volunteers that was there, um, and then I want to tell one of the the refugee family or individual stories of the people that I met that were there. Uh, so Nazareth Passionate Ministries has a presence in a place called Slavonsky Broad, Croatia, which is really just a transit stop for refugees that are moving from uh, Syria to Tur- or Syria and Afghanistan and other countries into Turkey and then Greece and then up through the Balkans all the way up to Germany and other places. But so there's this station in Slavonsky Broad where um, we spent about a week or a little less than a week maybe. And one of the first people that I met there was a guy named Graham who's from um, he's living in Scotland but he's from England. Not a Nazarene, not a Christian, not a church person, um, but just happened to know one of our Nazarenes that was working in Croatia and. Um, actually was taking banjo lessons from him when they both lived in Scotland. Nice. And then uh, once he came down to Croatia to start working, they stayed in touch. And Graham emailed uh, this Nazarene and said, well, what can I do to help? And and our guy's response was, well, why don't you just come and, and volunteer with us? So Graham had been there a few days, and he's one of these guys that every time, you know, trains arrived every few hours at this station. And um you didn't always have a lot of lead time. You usually found out about an hour or so beforehand that a train was coming, and there's about 900 refugees on each train. And uh, so every time a train was coming, Graham was going over to the camp to volunteer, and um, they did a variety of things there. They they passed out shoes. They passed out clothing, you know, handing out tea as people. Um, but mainly it was mostly just about um, being with people, what they were calling mm-hmm. a ministry of presence, just being there with people. And um, so I started talking with Graham, and uh, it was interesting that he was volunteering and really had no has no real faith background, though. For a while, he attended the Church of Scotland with his wife, but doesn't anymore. But he was volunteering with Nazarene Compassion. Yeah, was, How did he get in contact with them? Well, I mean, just this guy, Chris, who was a Nazarene that okay. he was taking lessons from oh, in right, Scotland. Oh, right, right. Yeah, you said they, that. I'm they sorry. They lived together, and then he came down, and or they, they worked together on banjo stuff, and then came down to uh, volunteer with us. So about the second or third morning that we were there, um, apparently I wasn't awake, but Graham woke up at five o'clock in the morning and um, couldn't get back to sleep. So he's standing out and watching the sunrise and he almost came and woke John and I up so that we could get film of the sunrise and all this stuff. And he said, so then I was laying there for probably an hour and a half. And he said, I was just analyzing my life, you know, uh, you know, thinking about what kind of impact it's had on me to be here and to be serving refugees who I thought I would feel a lot of pity for. But he said, actually, I feel more admiration than anything because of the way that they treat us and speak to us and how kind they are given the circumstances that they're in. Um, 
he said, so I was laying there and I'm, you know, thinking about my life and, you know, just really wrestling with things. And he said, I almost woke one of you up, you know, you were John, so I could talk to you guys about it. And I said, well, you know, Graham, you, you could have, cause there are six or seven men staying in the same room that were volunteers. I said, you know, you could have woken up any one of us and any one of us would have had that conversation with you. And he said, you know, that's interesting. I, I thought about that while I was laying there about whether or not you guys would be happy if I woke you up. And he said, and then I thought about the five or six best friends I've ever had in my whole life. And if they were all in this room together, you know, and if I woke one of them up to talk to them about this stuff, he's like, I don't think the response would have been good, but I know from you guys it would be. And then he said, you know, I know this trip is changing me, but I think it's about 50% my interaction with the refugees and about 50% my interaction with the volunteers. And it was this really nice, like, moment to know, um, you know, there's an impact that we're having that's even broader than, than the refugees. Right. Excuse me. So that was unexpected. I mean, Mm -hmm. heartening, but very, I I wasn't expecting that, you know, so soon into the, the trip. Um, I, I waffle, you know, when we're trying to figure out the stories to tell and how to tell them in these videos, I, I waffle back and forth between, all right, do we do the Sarah McLaughlin, um, you know, dog pound style commercials? That's right. Where it's like super sad and overwrought, you know, um, or, or do we head in a direction that's more hopeful? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, something more positive and more uplifting and, um, the difficulty is that there are so many hard and tragic stories. Um, and so one, one man whose story, um, we haven't fully shared yet. Um, he, uh, he reached, uh, we, we met him. We had some Syrian translators with us. Some, actually there's a group of, uh, Christians, Syrian Christians that were, um, evacuated from the country in the fall last year. And we took them to Lebanon and then to Poland. And so these are three Syrians that are now living in Poland and they came down to help us translate for the videos. And, uh, so they were there translating with us and we met this family and there was about eight people traveling together, you know, cousins and sisters and brothers and that sort of thing. And, um, there was a young man there. Um, maybe he might've been 30, maybe 35, not, um, not super young, but you know, younger man. And, um, he was, um, trying to get shoes. And so we were helping him with that. And then we just started talking to them and hearing their story. And they had a, he and his wife had a baby who I, I think was probably about maybe four to six months old, uh, hmm. something like that. Um, you know, so they've been traveling, you know, with this baby. We came to find out that they Which had spent. That's, that's super easy, even in America with a car. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, think about, think about getting your infant up and ready, you know, for the, preschool or, or not preschool, but, you know, daycare or to go to church or to go to the store and, you know, having to carry an infant around, you know, as you're doing those types of things, if you can imagine doing that. Going to church with an infant was about enough to make me lose my (laughs) salvation. So that's right. (laughs) So, so they're traveling with this baby and I start talking to them and, um, came to find out they had been in a, in a camp in Turkey for a couple of years, actually. So they had left Syria, gone into Turkey and had been in, in a full-fledged refugee camp for a couple of years. And um, they, she had become pregnant or was pregnant when they reached the camp. And the baby was born in the camp, and it was the winter. And they didn't have sufficient tents. I think they didn't even have closed tents at the time. They just mm. had, like, sort of shelters and lean-tos and all that sort of stuff. And the baby became sick and, and very quickly, within a, a week or two, died. 
um, mm. just from exposure, just from being out in the cold and not having enough resources. And this was this couple's first baby. Mm. Um, and so he had his cell phone and he was showing me pictures of the, the baby, um, the girl after she had died and um, the grave that they had set up there that they'll probably never be able to go back to. Mm. Um, and then they were in the camp for another year or more, and uh, she became pregnant again, and that's when they knew they needed to to think about leaving. Um, the baby was born sometime in the early fall, so a little warmer. And I think that's when they decided um, this past fall that they needed to leave because the, right. they couldn't stay there another winter. So mm. they... They packed up whatever they could, and they gathered whatever family they could, and they they left. And that's when I met them in in January and wow. uh, or February. And Slavonsky Broad was um, carrying this new, you know, infant around, trying to get to Germany. And uh, you know, I, I first of all, I I don't they didn't speak English, and so I'm having to run everything through a translator. And um, you know, when I talk to a parent here in the U.S., that's experience something like that you already don't have words right there's already nothing to say that's worth anything Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know there's nothing that Mm. you can say the trite things or you can you know i'm I'm usually on the just say you're sorry but i didn't even know how to say that very Mm -hmm. well and so i asked the translator just to i said could you please just tell them that i I don't know i don't know what to say can you is there some blessing you can give them for me is there something you can say for me that can convey how sorry I am for this. And so, so she did that and, um, they had a couple more things to do before they got on the train. And, um, he was one of the few people that I gave some contact information to, and he hasn't reached out to me yet. So I don't know if they've arrived in Germany or where they're at or what's happening with them, but Hmm. I would hope to be able to connect with them again and hear that they're doing well, that the baby is well, that their family Mm -hmm. is, you know, settling it even just for a time somewhere that they could feel safe and comfortable and not worry about losing another baby that has already been born. And how old did you say the other baby was? When I'm, it... I'm guess. Do you mean the, their first the, baby? The first died? baby that died. Yeah. I think not more than a month old. Wow. Very young. The, the picture that I saw was a very, very young baby. Mm. So I, um, I don't know if you remember, I, I sang a song in church to close a service when we were talking about dealing with grief and stuff. And it's written by Andy Gullihorn, who I've had on this show before. Mm-hmm. And the song was called Nowhere to Be Found. Yeah. And uh, that, that song specifically is about uh, a man who, in, in the scope of about a month, lost his father-in-law, who he was extremely close to, and uh, two twin boys died in the womb mm-hmm. uh, of his wife and him at, like basically as they had gone to term basically right. and the whole song is about um what it means to live in that uh as he calls it in the in the lyrics he says uh, it feels like a town unacquainted with grief you right. know when you're when you're looking around at all the the people and families and loved right. ones and things like that and and uh it's it's a pretty wrenching song and he keeps singing about uh, to god saying you were nowhere to be found right and I and the end of the song, since we're in the season of Lent and heading towards Easter, Andy has a brilliant turn of words at the end of that song, and and he says, "Looking, um, looking for you on this one-way street must be like looking in your tomb, mm-hmm. where you were nowhere to be found." Like, and so he, 
with one phrase kind of turns right. the whole song into a hopeful note, right. which is just pretty powerful. But I immediately came to mind when you were talking about the loss of an infant and what it must mean to not only be without your child, but without your home, can't go back to where you buried your child. Mm-hmm. Um, it's overwhelming to to think of that and yeah. what they must be feeling in the midst of that. And, yeah. and where do you find God? And, and maybe some of that answer is in the people who are trying to rescue them, hopefully. Right. Um, well, and that's part of, you know, when I say earlier, the, you know, part of what the Nazarene Church is doing, especially along the transit route, is is a ministry of presence. And we we have talked about it using Brian Zahn's language. And, mm-hmm. you know, he talks about forgiveness as being an act, you know, inviting someone to be human again. And, yeah. you know, we're maybe building on or expanding that to say that that's our real work is rehumanizing people that not only have, that feel less human because of what they have had to endure, but are being seen as less than human by mm-hmm. a lot of people outside of the situation. And, the, you know, one of the really interesting things about a lot of these refugees that I was able to talk with is they're you and me just in another country. And, and, and I don't just mean everybody is a child of God and, mm-hmm. you know, so we're all similar. I mean, these are uh, musicians and business owners mm-hmm. and, you know, we talked with a woman with a PhD in biomechanical engineering and um, studied abroad. And, and, you know, Syria was the, the vacation place for Europeans to travel to up until about 2009, 2010. So wow. the the people that, that are on this refugee route, for the most part, they, they are you and I from mm-hmm. another country. And, you know, we do a real disservice to them to see them in any other way other than that. Yeah. Uh, and so these families that are that are traveling along, if you imagine the situation that would need to occur here in order for you to literally sell everything you have mm-hmm. to take a journey like that because of how dangerous it is and because of how persecuted you are. I met lots of Yazidis. The Yazidis are a religious minority and primarily in northern Iraq um, who were sort of persecuted by everybody, um, not just um, not just ISIS, who's their main um, enemy or persecutor right now, just ISIS doing terrible, awful things to Yazidis. But I met so many of them who, you know, they just, they've, they've got nowhere to go. Mm. They're, they're, nobody wants them. Um, and not only does nobody want them now, they're being, you know, violently driven out and captured and kidnapped and every horrible thing you can imagine being done to their women and children. Mm. Um, one boy who was traveling all on his own with nobody else, he's 18 years old, um, and he is from northern Iraq, uh, from and he's a Yazidi, and he from the, he spoke English. But from the moment that I started talking to him to the moment that he left my presence, it was probably about forty-five minutes or so total time when we were interviewing him. He trembled the whole time, hmm. and I thought at first he was just nervous because he was only giving like one or two word answers. But I realized about halfway through that he was just very he's just traumatized, literally hmm. medically traumatized from wow. the the situation that he had been in in Iraq and he just shook the whole time. Hmm. Um, and he told me his, his name is Kamal in Arabic, which means the fool in, hmm. um, in English. And I don't know if he said that. Uh, I mean, he made a point to tell me and I'm not sure what his point in telling me was, but you know, whether it was foolish to take this journey or it was foolish to stay or, that people would just see him as a fool for being 18 and traveling all on his own. And, mm. um, I mean, so many, 
I mean, there's so many people like that traveling right now. Hmm. Um, they're either on their own or they're in family groups, but they're all, um, they're all both fairly desperate and hopeful. And I'm, yeah, I've talked, I don't know if we talked last time about hope, but I wonder sometimes if hope really is only hope when it's really, really hard. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it makes sense to me that they would still be hopeful because what else are they going to do? You know, how else are they going to, they haven't given up. They're on this walk. They're on this journey. Do you think when you, when they start losing hope, when any of us start losing hope and we turn to despair, um, I often wonder if, you know, you have groups like ISIS who they didn't just spring up overnight for no reason. Uh, Even they at some point started out of a place of despair because there was desperation and no other alternative, so it seemed. So the alternative to hopefulness is this idea of we're just going to destroy, you know, and, and that's the only option we have. And I, seeing from the perspective you're talking about, it makes me wonder, would I be hopeful or would I just turn to despair? And, and I mean, I, as, a, as a believer and as a Christian, I know what I've signed on for. Right. So I want to say on the side of hope. But um, for someone that hasn't maybe made that decision, or even somebody who has, you know, as, as Andrew Peterson says in that song lyric, as, what about the times when even followers get lost, right. um, when there's so much coming down on top of them? Uh, that's the tragedy of this to me with so many people saying, no, we don't want you, uh, what all their alternative is there at times to, well, if it's not going to be hope, then it's going to be, we're going to let somebody else feel this pain that we're feeling. Right. You know? Yeah. And, yeah, that's absolutely correct. And and every extremist group that we have seen develop over the last, you know, couple of decades that have morphed from one into the next, into the next, and seemingly more abhorrent with every mm. <laughs> with every change has has been that exact thing you know i even said at one of our meetings um, in turkey last year when we had some um for me the preliminary conversations about refugees you know we had a person in the room who was uh, not necessarily opposed to refugees or them coming into europe or whatever but was being this the sort of the voice of well we need to be careful we need to you know we need to be wary you know if if we invite them in they're going to want to build a mosque and what you know what do we do about that and hmm. um and the the comment that i made was the biggest mistake we could make right now is in making them feel less human mm-hmm. and in isolating them and keeping them away from the healthier parts of society that might welcome them mm-hmm. in and care for them because of all we've done is shove them aside and said, no, you don't belong here and you can't go back home. So here's a terrible camp for you to live in with terrible resources and we don't care about you. Then they'll have generations that have learned nobody cares about us. We're the persecuted. Let's rise up. And so that it does happen. And um, our, our response as the church should be to provide the alternative, to provide the hope. Yeah. Whatever that looks like, we can figure out. But if if we're the ones that are squashing hope, we have forfeited our and, responsibility. And, and as I'm thinking about this, I'm amazed. I'm, I'm trying to find, as I'm talking, I really am paying attention to yep. you. Um, but I'm, I'm looking through here on my Kindle list of books because I, I just read a book in the last, it was in November, uh, about Native Americans mm. and their whole plight. 
uh, The Earth Shall Weep by James Wilson is a history of uh, of Native Americans in this country. It's a really big, thick book, but right. it's so full of uh, just everything that has been done to the people here. And what I'm so amazed by reading a story like that is how gracious those people seem to be right. uh, even now in, in speaking with us and talking about people that, that you know, um, the white man has literally <laughs> pushed them off of their land and put them in little places many times without water and without a way to even support themselves. Um, I'm amazed at the way that they still seem to at this point be responding so graciously after all that story. And, and I feel like we could even do so much more to help them than what we have. Um, but you know, I, that's where I think Wesley talks about what prevenient grace is of, of God going before us before we even knew him, you know, and there's something to that of being made in the image of God. I think at times his image comes out in us, whether we're acknowledging that or not. Yeah. And and without, without engaging in, you know, too much of the political side of it, um, or maybe even at all on the political side of it, but, you know, we, I think we as Americans have a tendency to disengage a little bit from the, the uglier parts of our past. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't necessarily think that we take blame uh, currently, like, mm-hmm. you know, you and I don't take blame for uh, what happened with, um, you know, Native Americans when we were sort of running rampant across the across this continent or what happened with um, African-Americans who we brought here to help us run rampant across the <laughs> continent. Um, we don't necessarily take blame for those things, but we take responsibility. Right. And and it requires us to take a posture, which is one of asking for forgiveness Mm -hmm. and that's not easy for us especially when we don't feel like we're to blame for it but if you look now at the countries for example that are responding well to refugees it's the countries that have looked at the darker parts of their past and are Mm -hmm. and are either currently asking forgiveness for that or recognize how broken they were in the midst of that so canada Mm -hmm. you know who has elected a new prime minister in the fall and in this new um, government has been very, very open to refugees actively seeking to, to mm. resettle um, Syrians in Canada. Um, they have been for years engaged in, in national dialogues about you know what are called First Peoples, Indigenous mm-hmm. Peoples in Canada, um, and how they should <clears throat> rectify you know what happened and how they have been displaced. And Germany is the same. You know, Germany, for better or worse, has lived with a lot of guilt. Um, there's a there's a lot of German guilt in in the culture um, for what happened, um, you know, from really from the early 1900s on through the uh, World War II. And even though they're a pretty major power, they're very careful not to throw their weight around. Right. It's very because of that. Because of that. Yeah. Right. They're very careful about that, especially when it comes to cultural issues. And mm-hmm. so, I think part of the reason that that they have been so open in terms of just saying, okay. We, we can't resettle millions of people here, but we're, we're not going to close our doors to you, mm-hmm. um, you know, come. And last year, a million, you know, came, mm-hmm. and, and there'll be more this year. Um, I think that comes from a posture of we, we've recognized we have contributed to the displacement and the harassment of people, mm-hmm. and we are sorry for that. And now we have an opportunity to... Um, not fix all of that with this gesture, but to for ourselves to become more human again mm-hmm. as a culture and as a nation by doing yeah. this. So now having said all that, I will, I should mention just for people who are 
not paying attention maybe the situation right now in terms of how refugees are moving through Europe is Mm -hmm. changing by the hour literally in the Mm -hmm. last few days Um, when I was there three weeks ago basically if uh, it it was the same as it has been for about the last six months people were leaving Syria going up through um, Turkey and then uh, being smuggled mostly from Turkey to Greece on a boat and then they go um, across Greece up to uh, Macedonia through Macedonia to Serbia, Serbia to Croatia, Croatia to Slovenia, mm-hmm. Slovenia, Austria, Austria, Germany. That's where 99.99% of them say they want to go is Germany. Um, and there were thousands a day going through while we were there. Uh, but in the last week, uh, well, a couple of weeks ago, Macedonia shut its border. So there's a lot of refugees pooling up in Greece. And yesterday, uh, there was another agreement made between the EU and Turkey to slow down the flow of mm-hmm. refugees, um, giving Turkey a lot of money basically to help support the refugees that are there and some schemes that um, hopefully will um, provide better support to the refugees that Turkey's going to be holding. There's some political gaming there that I think is not actually helpful for refugees. Uh, and then just yesterday also... Um, Oh, I just read it right before I came over here. I think it's both Serbia and Croatia have shut their borders now, too. They're not letting people through. So wow. the difficult part is that's not going to stop people from fleeing out of Syria. Yeah. Um, so there'll still be lots of people going into Jordan, lots of people going into Lebanon. Those two countries will probably very quickly be overwhelmed if the rate stays the same that it has been. And the same with Turkey. Even though Turkey is a much bigger country, I don't know that they either will be able to support all that. Um, I read a little metaphor this morning that, you know, what they're trying to do is, you know, build a wall of rocks to stop a river, you know, and the water is going to find a way through or around mm-hmm. or over or underneath. And so long term that these aren't great solutions, but short term, it's going to be a real mess across these European and non-EU countries, you know, mm-hmm. that aren't officially in the EU zone yet. So if people can be aware and praying and yeah. thinking about that how how close are you guys be, to being done with like the first video you've been creating uh, about two weeks two weeks yeah, so, so very right. excited the, the goal for the first video is to be done on march 18th um, i'm hoping to have it a week before that but that's the goal for the first video okay. and that will be the video that's in that's directed at um just getting people engaged and and we are taking a little um march 18th you 18th said? that's yeah. next week yeah yeah, yeah. so It'll sound that one will be hopefully a little more. <clears throat> That's the day after my album release. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, other things going <clears throat> on, lots of stuff coming out those two days. Now, well, uh, it, I don't know that that's when we'll actually be releasing the video. That's yeah. when it'll be done, and so okay. we have a whole kind of strategy for rolling these things out. I don't know when it'll actually be released, but that's the okay. day that we. Well, if I if I was done. to tell people who are listening where to keep their eyes open for it, where should they do that? Yeah, at? so. Um, you can go on – first of all, you can go on Facebook and look for Nazarene Compassionate Ministries. Um, not only will uh, – update, you know, we're not only updating about refugee work. I mean Nazarene Compassionate Ministries does so much mm-hmm. work and such a broad scope of projects that they do around the world. So if you're not – if you haven't gone on and liked that page, I would go – um, I would go onto Facebook and find that and like it. A lot of really good updates. So it'll definitely be posted there. Um, if you go to NCM's web- website, which is just – um, ncm.org mm-hmm. and then forward slash refugees. Um, that's a resource page that we have up right now that kind of shows um, what the church is doing. You know, there are some videos already up on there. There's some 
um, stories and blog posts about the work that we're doing from uh, from Jordan all the way up into Germany um, and elsewhere, um, all across that route and even elsewhere in the world. Lots of stories about refugees. Um, there's a there's a button for you to donate money on that site if you want to be able to donate to the work that is happening. Um, and then also they, they just offer some ways to get engaged, one of which you know I asked a minute ago was just to pray. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always uh, – I push people a little bit when I ask them to pray um, because I think there are situations where our prayer is not enough. Or maybe if I say it differently, where God is requiring more of us than our prayer or is asking more of us than we our prayer. We may, in fact, be the answer to the prayer that we're right. praying for yeah. others. Yeah. And so I, so I would encourage people, if they're, if they're engaged enough to pray and they're engaged enough to go to the website, take another step and see, well, what else could I be doing? Um, there are ways to volunteer at your, your local resettlement agency. You know, there are um, seven official government refugee resettlement agencies in the U.S. and Catholic Social Services is one, World Relief is one, and both of those have offices, for example, all around us right here in Springfield. There's one in mm-hmm. World Relief has an office in Columbus. Catholic Social Services has several. There's a, I'm friends with the the resettlement director at the Miami Valley um, Catholic Social Services. Um, so there are ways that you could volunteer, get engaged, and that may mean um, making a meal or hanging out or welcoming people at the airport. It, it can be very simple. It can also be very engaged. It's up to you. Welcoming people at the airport. That's an interesting. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. Like that's a, yeah, that's a big one. Like yeah, it's a, it's <laughs> if a, a stranger arrives and doesn't know anybody, that's a pretty right. huge, huge yep. thing. Yeah. For sure. Um, and then, um, volunteering overseas, you know, if you are a college student or a young person that has a free summer or a teacher, you know, a friend of ours is, is planning the summer mm-hmm. to go over to Croatia for a week to volunteer, um, or wherever the need happens to be when he goes. Um, so if you're a person who, who has time like that to go mm-hmm. volunteer somewhere, um, think about, um, going where the need is and seeing and and I guarantee that you you will not only understand the issue better you will um, you'll feel it more deeply and I think most importantly you'll see people that you may have previously seen as just a label or a name Mm -hmm. like now you'll understand oh that's you know that's my friend now that's my you know that's my fellow human I think I can liken that to uh, uh, put on my musician cap here for a second. There's been a few times that I've um, been told I need to listen to the music by this person, but mm-hmm. hadn't really done a lot for me. And then I'll see him live, right. hear the story behind the song, or it's, and there's something that connects there, and you go, "Wow, this is I'm all about this now," right. you know, like and I, and it sort of is a, a familiarity thing. Uh, I know when I visited Africa, I mean, it just changed a lot for me after spending a couple of weeks there and just seeing a whole different way of life. So that's a very good idea. But thanks for those suggestions because I know that not all of us can make those trips there. And, and so ncm.org is the best place to begin yep. if you're wanting to work through uh, Nazarene Compassionate Ministries. There's a whole lot of other organizations out there, but that's just what we're probably most familiar with on this end of things. And so if you have been listening to this podcast and asking how you can help in some way, just start by going to NCM, that stands for Nazarene Compassionate Ministries, dot org and uh, and then forward slash refugees for some of the videos and things that yep. you were talking about and so there's a there's a button or a picture on that front page even if you just go to ncm.org you'll see the refugee link pretty quickly okay so. great 
Any other information you want to share with us before we close out this time? Um, no, I mean, I'm going again uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, I'll go to Germany to talk with the Northern European leaders about, you know, how do we how do we serve refugees that are now in our countries sort of waiting probably for months or years to find out what's going to happen to them. Um, and then I leave from there and I go to Jordan, um, where our church is also really active in supporting refugees, among other things. And so, you know, the one thing I'd want to say, sometimes I think people don't understand um, how much work the church is doing. And it's been encouraging for me to see all of it. Um, actually, one of our Jordanian pastors, I was in a conversation with him, and he was talking about another um, a, a Catholic aid agency that was nearby them. And he said, oh, they're, you know, we were going to partner with them, but they're so much bigger than we are. And I said, no, no, we're uh, we're 10 times the size they are hmm. in terms of budget, in terms of countries we work in, in terms of the types of work that we do. And Really? So, wow. Yeah. So I would want to say, first of all, if you're a Nazarene or not, um, Nazarene Compassionate Ministries is very active all around the world. And, and if you have a skill or a talent or a or a desire, a passion that you want to follow up on, I, I can almost guarantee you that, that there's a place for you um, to, to use that um, with, with Nazarene Compassionate Ministries. So go and spend some time on that page. Um, and this will sound, I, I guess, a little, uh, maybe not self-serving, but you know, we are Compassionate Ministries is having a conference this summer at Olivet's campus, one of our Nazarene mm -hmm. schools. Um, so if you go to ncm.org, again, you'll see information for that. And that's a way for you to engage you know, pretty simply, you know, spend a week uh, or a couple of days in Chicago, come to the conference, see the kind of stuff that's going on. Uh, but most importantly, I think it'll it'll open your eyes a little bit to what the, at least what our church, our denomination is doing, and mm -hmm. and if it encourages you at all to become active, I, I'd say that's a that's a victory for us. I think. Right. Well, good. All right. And when is that again? At all That's, of it? That's uh, July 14th through the 16th. That's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. July 14th so. through 16th. All right. NCM.org. My guest today was Brandon Sipes, and he had a lot of great information. Brandon, thank you for being one of the voices in my head this week. Thanks, Rick. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining me here this week on the Voices in My Head podcast. I hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleyjames.com. Follow me on Twitter at rickleyjames. Like my artist page on Facebook at facebook.com slash rickleyjames. And keep up to date on what I'm writing at my author page on amazon.com. Make sure to follow my calendar on the website, and if you would like to have me come to your town to do a concert, a speaking engagement, or a book event, you can book me through my website by clicking on the link for Pair Booking Agency. That's P-A-R-E Booking. And finally, it would mean the world to me if you were to leave me a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast is on the internet. And now the benediction. May the God of peace, who raised Christ from the dead, strengthen your inner being for every good work. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest upon you and dwell within you this day and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>